Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 136 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Firstly, a quick announcement. I get a lot of people contacting me asking how they can work with me. So this is a little plug to let you know that I offer a range of services to vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs. From online training and group coaching to PR, content creation and copywriting services and one-on-one tailored individual private consultations. So if you're wanting help to promote or grow your vegan business, brand, product, service, book or other creative project, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com and click on the Work With Me menu link for more details. Now for the main part of the show. In this episode, I interview Emma Osborne, founder of Citizen Kind, a vegan recruitment firm in the UK. After more than 12 years working for a recruitment firm in Asia, Emma Osborne decided to use her international knowledge and corporate experience to work with businesses looking to bring some good into the world. In 2018, she created Citizen Kind, a recruitment company that focuses on working with sustainable, ethical and vegan companies to connect them with the employees they need to help them grow into the companies of the future. And also to help people who are looking for positions in these types of companies. A passionate vegan, Emma's work is powered by a longing to see the world adopt a plant-based diet, a low-waste, cruelty-free mentality and live in harmony with nature. In this interview, Emma discusses the key mistakes vegan business owners make with recruiting staff and what they should do instead, the costs involved in recruiting staff, including some hidden costs that employers may not consider, the benefits of using a recruitment agency, how the recruitment process works and what's required from the business to ensure the best results are achieved, Tips for those looking to work for a vegan or plant-based company. Interview tips for both employers and job candidates, and much more. Here's the interview with Emma Osborne from Citizen Kind. Hello, Emma. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Katrina. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm really excited and looking forward to to chatting with you. I've been trying to get you on the show for for a little while now because you've got such a unique business and it's going to be relevant both from the point of view of you, the fact that you've started this very unique business in the vegan business space and also for uh, people who are listening, our listeners, vegan entrepreneurs from across the globe who are looking to employ staff. So very much looking forward to interviewing you. So um, you've got a background in recruitment and you now offer this service specifically for vegan and plant-based businesses through your new company or relatively new company, Citizen Kind. Question I always kick off with, with everybody is the why. So what are your drivers? What are your reasons for doing what you do and why specifically are you doing it through? a recruitment agency? Sure. Well, um, the why was actually the really easy part. Um, I, um, As you say, I've, I've got a background in recruitment, so um, I've, I've been doing that for a very long time. Um, um, I've also been vegetarian for a very long time. And then about four and a half years ago, I had a um, I actually had a, a, a quite a painful surgery where I had to um had fibroids removed and that took that what removed I had to, fibroids oh fibroids oh yes yeah. Yeah. um which I didn't even know what they were and um and that made me investigate what caused them and one of the causes is overconsumption of dairy ah. so as a lifelong vegetarian obviously I had been um you know, traveling my way through as much cheese as I could eat, um, completely oblivious to the effect it was having um, on my body, and uh, and also completely oblivious to um, 
the effect that was having on animals. I'd been vegetarian because I loved animals. So yeah. um, when I started investigating all of this, I, re- I was really shocked and really angry, actually, that no one had told me that these could be the health consequences of um, my food choices. And so that was what kicked off my veganism. And uh, so I'd say I was plant-based probably for the first year. And then that year really made me look at my career choices. And I began to feel increasingly like I couldn't continue doing my my role. Uh, So I was an MD of a recruitment firm in Singapore at the time. And uh, so I quit and took off and (laughs) took myself off around the world to answer that question, what was I going to do with my career now? Um, but really wanted it to be something that was more purposeful and meaningful. And so um, when I came back, um, I really played around with all sorts of ideas. So was I going to have a vegan food product? Was I going to have a vegan cooking store? Was I going to be a vegan blogger? Um, you know, all of the things that I'm sure lots of people mm-hmm. think about. And, um, and, you know, even made ice cream for 10 days. <laughs> and then got to the end and realised I didn't really like ice cream that much. <laughs> Good to know. How can you not like ice cream very much? What kind of vegan are you? <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. Well, I was just that. I've got a much more savoury tooth, so you know I could. And and that's what happened. I started to make the ice cream more and more savoury as time went along, and oh. <laughs> then realised that the other people aren't going to want to eat this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you decided so, to focus on the skill set that you already had, but to yeah. move it to a, a sector where you felt you could really make an impact. Is that right? Exactly. Really thought about what my skills were and then um, realised that actually maybe the best way was to take all of the skills and knowledge that I'd acquired um, in the 12 years I've been doing recruitment and plug them then into uh, the vegan space. So started working with vegan businesses. I love um, that. And what I, why it's really, yeah, really clear. <laughs> I love that. And I love that it, the timing is right because you may not have been able to start something like this or, you know, have it be successful as quickly a few years ago. But I think it's, it's kind of, you know, sometimes things are about the timing. And I think that's good for people to hear who are listening, who are maybe still in a corporate job and thinking about starting their own business is to, you know, consolidate that skill set and see how it can, you know, be transferred into something that you're, you're passionate about. And obviously we've seen such a massive growth in the vegan and plant-based sector um, that there's now absolutely a need for your services so I, I love that so let's talk a little bit well first of all actually what about the name you've called it citizen kind which is nice but tell us just briefly about the name sure well um this took a long time I mean I, I think I went through 3,000 names <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I wanted something that really would appeal to everyone um and something that was an appealing um and inclusive word and, and avoiding all of the slightly problematic um plant based and vegan words. You know, I I wanted it to feel very um open. Um because the candidates that I'm looking to attract aren't necessarily vegan. Yeah. Um, although obviously vegans are very, very welcome. <laughs> and it was more to appeal to the conscious consumer who maybe um was Starting to, you know, go zero waste or to um, just think about their consumption and had maybe started to reflect that into their career. To, yeah. And perhaps, perhaps found some dissatisfaction there. And uh, I think, um, you know, wanting to use your skills for good is something that, especially if you then start to adopt a plant-based diet, I think it goes along with that part of the journey. And it's, you know, because that was my experience. So yeah. I think the, um, cool. I think that, that, that was really why I picked it. Okay, cool. All right. Let's talk about recruitment. So first of all, what are some of the key mistakes that vegan business owners, and I'm sure this is true of other business owners, but obviously for the purposes of this podcast, we're talking about vegan business owners. What are some of the mistakes they may make with recruiting staff and what should they do instead? Sure. So, um, so the businesses that I work with are, are companies who are in the sustainable, ethical, and vegan arena. And so, um, you know, obviously, because they're more purpose-driven, they're offering more than just money and career advancement. So, I think it's important to start with to, to celebrate that and shout about that, and um, because it's a real U.S. thing. 
So um, I think that's a mistake that lots of people make if you forget to mention it, because oh, they look okay. at you know everything else um, that's out there and, um, and and you know almost cut and paste, you know job job templates and that sort of thing. Oh, but okay. actually, it's a really important thing um, to highlight because it's the reason that someone would join you over someone else. Yes. So, yeah. Um, that's crucial because um, I really do think that these days people and, and in the future people are going to be looking for careers with meaning. So highlighting that right from the get go yeah. yeah. is super important. Um, I think the other thing is actually thinking about you know, your ideal candidate profile um, and and, hi- and hiring people on the basis of their skills and competencies. Um, we're all human, and so this could be quite difficult because. I think most of our tendency is to go for either someone that we know or is recommended to us through our networks or friendship groups or family. Um, But that's not necessarily the best thing for your business. Um, um, You really have to almost emotionally detach from from those um, relationships and ask yourself what's the best thing for the business because sometimes... Having people that you know or are connected to you in some way in your business can make life more difficult. Um, because if there's ever an issue with that person, yeah, uh, then that could be quite difficult to deal with. Yeah, uh, certainly more, maybe more challenging. So focusing on the skills and competencies of the person that you're hiring um, is uh, is quite well is is very important, and also can help you avoid any uh, discrimination or. Um, inclusivity challenges um, if you're only looking at skills and competencies then you can only end up with the person that's the best fit for the job yeah exactly and I think that reminds me of someone I interviewed Susie Welsh on the show and I remember one of the things she said was that a lot of vegan businesses only want to employ people who are already vegan but that might not best serve the business and we've obviously seen you know, some yeah. of the larger businesses are having people coming in who've previously worked at you know really large multinational corporations because they're bringing like you said that skill set and that competency so um, yeah that, that definitely makes uh, a lot of sense and often people when they do join vegan companies they often will start to move in that direction anyway because they're so influenced by it but uh it's not not good to necessarily exclude them from the start great okay now um why why is getting because i know you work particularly um at senior level so we should be clear that you as a recruitment agency you're not really helping people to find you know wait staff in their bakery shop you're you're kind of placing people in companies at quite senior levels um so can you talk about just say briefly why is getting the right staff member important particularly at those senior levels yes well i think um I mean, one day I'd like to be able to do everything, but at the moment, just given the size now, yes, uh, it's at this sort of manager and up, manager level and up. Right. Um, so, so yes, uh, I suppose the, the reason that it's so important to get the, the senior team right um, is they are really, you know, your people are what makes a company great, and they're your, they're every business's USP because every every person is unique. So um, investing in hiring brilliant people really does pay in dividends later because you'll get wherever you're going faster, you'll get there more efficiently with fewer errors, less cost um, than you would otherwise. Um, obviously, they're going to be your biggest success. Um, and so it, it, that's also another reason to make sure that you've got, really have got the right person in there. Um, and I think the, um, the, the questions that you need to ask yourself when you're hiring, um, and and actually probably why using a recruiter for the senior side is, is useful because they can make sure that the questions that you're asking are the right questions, and and help you figure out exactly what it is you need rather than what it, you think it is you want. Yeah, for um, sure. Sure. You touched on the costs there, Emma. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like the costs involved in, in a business recruiting on their own without an agency and perhaps some of the hidden costs that they might not have considered or factored in. Um, and also some of the costs involved if they do use a recruitment agency such as yours. Yeah, sure. Well, one thing um, on the uh, on the cost side is it, I think it's really tempting to look at just the cost of the money mm. um, but actually there's another one that is the cost of your time time i was thinking um, that yeah 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 and um 
one question that I ask um, the potential clients I'm talking to is, uh, you know, how do you value your time? Um, because, and what would you be doing if you weren't doing recruitment? Mm. And how valuable is that activity to your business? Because I think time is so precious when you're um, when you're running a business, you, you know, especially given what's happening at the moment in the plant-based and vegan um, world. Obviously, it's a race. It feels like a race. Mm. Um, and so it, I think that that's definitely something to consider. You're, you're essentially employing an expert um, to, who, who already knows the marketplace to be able to help you find and identify the right person that's available at that moment in time at the salary that you've got. For you to, right. be, able to be able to deliver that same value would take an awful, an awful long, an, a huge amount of time, more time than you could spend easily, yeah. um, just to do the research even. Exactly. So I think yeah. I think that's something to consider that people often don't. Yeah, definitely. So how does it work then? Do you like take a percentage of the salary when it's for like, how do the actual costs work in terms of if someone uses your, your services? So it's a percentage of the candidate's annual salary for the first year in their job. Okay, gotcha. Um, so uh, it's a one-off fee. So if okay. they stay for two years or they stay for a decade, <laughs> the, the, the price is the same. Although when they stay for a decade, I sort of think, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I maybe have a bit more? <laughs> cool. So obviously, we know, I was going to ask you about the benefits of using a recruitment agency. I think you've already kind of touched on that. It is that, like you say, especially when you've got someone who really knows the space, because I know sometimes a bit like journalism, sometimes journalism as an industry gets a bit of a bad rep. And I think sometimes recruiters can as well. But when you've got a really good yeah. one that knows what they're doing, that knows the space, it, like you said, it, it's so valuable to, to take up that that time, uh, take that time that the, that the business owner could otherwise be using. And, and even if they did it themselves, they might do it wrong. Like they say, they may be asking the wrong questions, and you know they might well, not, exactly. not spot things that you might be able to spot. So can definitely yes, see the, the red flags is definitely a yeah. really um, a really useful thing that a recruit, recruiter can help you identify yeah. because we're so used to doing it and also on the softer skills bit you know you can obviously on someone's cv you can scan that and every anyone can do that and see what someone's skills are in terms of hard skills if you like yeah but the soft skills you don't get to find those out until you have a conversation with them so that's right um, and a lot of us i suppose a lot of plant-based um especially at that level they they might not even be used to interviewing um staff or finding staff at those levels so i can definitely see the the benefit and i know that you work globally so tell us a little bit about what kinds of companies or businesses are are currently seeking your services since you've launched and i believe you launched last year with uh, yes, launched launched launch in June last year. Um, although I started a bit before I launched the brand. Um, right. So, what so, kind of businesses and what kind of jobs are coming through as well? Give us. A yeah, bit. so businesses. Um, so there's all sorts really. So I, so far, I've worked with um, tech companies. I've worked with um, investment firms, FMCG companies, restaurants, food products, charities, event companies. Wow. media companies <laughs> all sorts and then within them it's again all sorts really so um like chief commercial officer chief marketing officer head of innovation a head of innovation role i posted recently i had 500 responses for in wow three days. wow um so that was a bit much <laughs> um but uh head of people uh operations director uh, food service directors, all sorts. Wow, yeah, really, so it's a really, um, yeah, really, really variety. And I should say as well, <laughs> I should let listeners know as well that um, you actually headhunted me for a campaign I <laughs> which I was involved in last January. That's 2019, which was the Million Dollar Vegan campaign around the Pope. And um, so, yeah, that's how kind of how I got to to know Emma. That's just for our for our listeners. So you really do a, a huge variety. That's that's amazing. Um, so, and actually, one thing I wanted to say just on the um, the types of companies. So, mm-hmm. one of the features of the companies that I'm working with is quite a lot of them are either at the point where they're seeking investment or they've just got it. Right, so, right. Need to now implement a hiring plan. Right. So, I think that's one thing to mention is that um, it's worth considering including recruitment in your budget when you're um, presenting your plan to investors. 
that's a good um, because actually oh. hiring the right people within a time in a timely fashion and being able to uh, predict exactly when those people are going to be able to start by working with a recruiter yeah. um, can really help give investors that feeling of confidence and uh, predictability that obviously they like yeah um, absolutely um, and it shows that you know what you're doing as well I think it kind of adds another yeah, yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point so um, let's talk a little bit about the recruitment process so let's talk about yeah. as you as a recruiter what do you actually do so from the time you you get an inquiry from a from a company yeah. to actually working with them and finding someone and getting them in the job just give us a little bit of a helicopter ride over what that process looks like Okay, so it starts, yes, uh, so if someone was to inquire, then the first thing I would do is want to go and meet them, so we sit down and talk about the job and what they required uh, from the person, um, but also I'd want to find out all about their business as much as I possibly could, um, and obviously agree on the terms and conditions of how we were going to work together, so agree a fee uh, and a timeline. And then from that point, um, I would go away and write a job ad, I'd then post that job ad on across different social media platforms um, and media platforms. Uh, I'd then be managing the response that I got from the advert over a course of about two to three weeks. Um, I'd be headhunting during that time if I, if it was a retained uh, search. So that's where you'd be paying me um, up front uh, for a percentage of the fee. So you're basically buying my time in advance. Um, and okay. uh, and that means that I can then afford to be headhunting for you. Because the thing about recruitment is, if I'm not successful, I don't get paid. Yes. So uh, <laughs> um, that's why that works that way. Because the headhunting obviously is, is an additional um, and very specific uh, feature. Yeah. So then, after two to three weeks, I would expect to have a shortlist of candidates of maybe thirty to fifty, um, and then I would have interviewed. 10 to 30 of those, depending upon uh, what the role was and how many I needed. Um, and then I would present uh, the, the top one to my, back to my clients and uh, talk to them about which ones I felt were the most suitable um, and then um, arrange the interviews with the ones that they uh, had chosen. Uh, and so coordinate all those and then manage the feedback. Um, and then most likely there'll be a second stage where they, the candidates um, that they like the most will be invited back to present, hope or do a task in the meantime. Right. They would then be presenting back to, um, to that client to show that they had a particular skill that they'd wanted to test as a result of the first interview. Um, so I take the feedback from both sides at that point, and then um, whoever they wanted to make an offer to, I'd, take, uh, I'd negotiate that for them and get that agreed, contract signed, and then help that candidate manage their notice period. So they manage the ex- their exit from their current role. Oh, okay, right. That's good to know. Okay. <clears throat> and then uh, so once you've got their first day and start date all agreed, then make sure they start on that day, <laughs> no problems. <laughs> And, uh, and then keep checking in with them um, really until probably three months they've been in the role and it's all going well. That's the point where we'd stop. So it, it, it doesn't stop at the at the date the, the contract gets signed. It continues oh. all the way through until okay. uh, uh, three months after they started in the role. Oh, that's great. So what I'm hearing in terms of the engagement or the, the, the time involved or the engagement involved by the business owner is is quite minimal or that, that comes at the beginning when you have those initial meetings and you, yeah. you know do a deep dive and find out exactly what they want. But then apart from that, they're not really getting involved until you know, you've got maybe a very small number of candidates for them to interview, which have been highly screened by yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Now, I'm going to ask a question because I know people are going to be thinking about this, but what happens so if despite all that, and it sounds so obviously there's, you know, you go to great efforts to get the, the right person for the right job, but obviously, you know, occasionally, probably rarely, but occasionally it might happen, a placement doesn't work out um, after someone's been hired and it's just discovered either by one or both parties that it's not a fit after all. How does that work? Sure. I mean, I'd say obviously using a recruiter you are reducing the chances of this enormously so where I'm working with a client and um, it's 
I'm the only recruiter working with them. Um, and we've agreed a timeline and I'm doing the screening. So I'm not sending them CDs. I'm just making decisions on their behalf and presenting mm. back the four candidates that are the best ones. Where I'm doing that, um, and they've given, you know, taken the time to give me a really thorough job brief, then 2% of the time is when that would happen. So yeah. it is really rare. Yeah. Um, but obviously sometimes it does. And it's not an exact science. We're dealing with people. And when, when the, when your product is something that can change, <laughs> um, then yes, it can be, uh, it can be obviously, um, very disruptive. Um, and, I think it's important to, at that point, really look back and work out um, what what could have been done um, to identify whatever the issue is, um, or indeed if something could have been done, and yeah. and learn from it. Um, so, so what do you do, Emma? Do think. you kind of go, okay, well, let's now offer it to the second best person, and like, does the company have to pay you again, or how, how does that kind of side of it work? Yeah, so it's um, it really depends on what the what the issue is because sometimes it could be something that we hadn't even talked about or thought about or that would be important. So it really does depend on on yeah. It might be that actually they haven't realised that they needed someone with contacts in supermarkets, for example, and that was never part of the brief. And so mm. I might have to go back and do a whole new search. Um, so it. It is not a, there isn't a sort of one way that you would be handled. But in general, um, I offer a refund period. So you would get, if it was within the first three months, you would get a percentage of your fee that you paid back mm-hmm. according to how, how far along it was in that part. Okay. Right. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. That's good to know. I think so it's, it's not like a, people wouldn't uh, necessarily yeah, know you, you how get it, something back. Yeah. So do you work exclusively then? Uh, like, do you demand exclusivity, I should say? So because you mentioned there that, you know, if you were the only recruiter, because obviously with some big companies, multinationals, you're right, they, they can use more than one recruiter. But do you prefer sure. to have or do you demand exclusivity that you're the only recruiter or will you also work if there are also I've, other recruiters? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, honestly, I prefer it because it means that I can do as much as I have in my arsenal for the client that I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and also I can spend the time that I want to on the role. Uh, where, you've used, where you use more than one recruiter, um, you actually um, almost take away uh, some of the screening that your um, ability of your recruiter. So if I'm up against five other recruitment agencies, then that means the chances of me filling that role is 20%. Mm. Yeah. So if I've got an hour and I've got three and I've got one client who's, who's only relying on me to fill their vacancy and I've got another where I've got a 20%, so I've got 100%. <laughs> and then I've got another that's only giving me the commitment of 20%, then I'm going to spend that hour I'm going to spend 80% of that hour working on a role where I've got a 100% chance of filling the role. Yeah. And maybe 10 minutes <laughs> on the one where I haven't. Yeah, for sure. And so I imagine as well, you might even I come across the, the same, you might even come across the same people as well, perhaps, mightn't you, which can be a bit. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, that, that would be lovely if, um, if I'm able to, you know, obviously meet people who I can send to multiple roles that, that's no I meant um, I meant the recruitment agencies like you know those other five recruitment agencies yes. they could also be finding the same people as you and then it can kind of get well this awkward. is yeah yeah yes well this is the other issue with it is that it becomes less about see, uh, screening out the right people and it becomes more of a, a race. Race. yes I was just thinking to that own, yeah own those candidates with that client yeah. And I hate that because yeah. that means that you're not actually delivering value. You're just going, this one's fine, this one's fine, this one's fine, this one's fine. And then the client is the one that still has to then figure out who's, yes, but who's the best, you know. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, I, I, yeah, I much rather, I much prefer working exclusively. So, yeah. um, occasionally I'll, I'll work it on a, um, on a basis where I'm not, I'm not exclusive, but, um, it's normally only to just prove that the service that I can provide works. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, and and do I'm you, not gonna... 
waste their time. Yeah. Do you have like staff working for you, Emma? Because I'm thinking, could you, especially what you just said, I think you said you interview sometimes between 10 and 30 people. That's got to take up a lot of your time. So I'm I'm assuming that 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 will then, you can only take on so many clients at a time. Would that be right? Or have you you started, and I guess eventually you'll start to build a team out so that you can then take on more clients, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think sometimes when you go back to someone and say, well, actually, you'll have to wait a month or, you know, you've got to wait a month or two because I'm busy. That's actually in a good, it can be good in a way because, you know, at least they know they're going to get someone who's really going to dedicate the time and energy to finding the right person for them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think so. Yeah. So I'm putting it out there on the podcast for those that are listening. (laughs) Emma's worth waiting for. Um. Well, yes, I mean, that, that would be lovely. Um, I think I think the reality is is that by the time someone comes to a recruitment agency, they really really need someone True. and need them yeah. quickly. And yeah. so, um, but so for me, it's it's really about managing expectations and making sure that I am, I'm not overcommitting myself. Exactly. And, um, yeah. And overcommitting the agency, so keeping the number of jobs at a manageable level. But I am hiring because um, yeah, I've reached the point where I'm getting enough in that I can afford to take someone on to help me. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. That is exciting. How lovely. All right, now let's talk a little bit briefly about um, interviewing um, tips. So both from the side of the business owner who, you know, once once you've screened them all out and they've got the top candidates and it's now their turn to interview them and also from the point of view of the candidate. So let's start with the business owners. So what do they need to take into account? What are some interview tips when they've, you know, got these two or three, however many it is, top candidates? Uh, What, what, yeah. What advice can you offer them on how to get the best out of the interview process? Yeah, well, I think I think almost the, so the job brief is normally sort of the thing that they re- would refer to, and actually, I would I would encourage people not to use that in an interview um, because that can almost feel like a checklist um, and a bit impersonal because actually you're hiring a person, so um, it's important to engage with that person as an individual as opposed to an employee um so definitely you know when you're doing interviews do the the bit at the beginning you know find out about them do some rapport building so you know what you do at the weekend and tell me a bit about yourself and just relax them so they feel really comfortable with you and what will happen then is you'll get a much more realistic idea of who that person is actually when you get into some of the more um in-depth questions about their career if you've already established a bond with them at the beginning. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's a really, um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to, to just, yeah, make, find out who it is you're talking to. Um, and, um, and obviously, I think most people will have kind of a list of essential and uh, essential things that they're looking for from someone. Um, but I think actually prioritising that list um, beforehand and you know, really focusing on maybe two to three things that are crucial that that person demonstrates in that interview, and finding out if they've got those as your objective. So almost setting that before, and then so when you come out, you know, okay, well they tick two out of those three boxes. Do I still? And then you could, they can compare them to someone else because people are so different. It can be quite difficult to compare them. So having that, that just those three items that you're looking for. Um, can help just steer people in the right direction. Yeah. Do you and help people then, with questions, Emma, or like do you help them? And I will. If, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If if they're certainly if they're um, new to doing yeah. new to it or new to that particular role or any, you know, I'll, I'll help wherever. I think it, one thing that is really important as well to help people compare candidates is to have the same questions for each mm. one. Um, right, because right. and not to freestyle because I think that's that's the temptation, especially <laughs> when you're a, a, a small a business owner, especially in a startup environment. You're you know you're freestyling all the time. Well, actually, with recruit with recruitment, actually, a bit of structure goes a long way, and it can really help save you time later. Um, oh yes, yeah, actually, yeah, that that one answered that one like that. But I really like that answer. Yeah. And so, it can really help you pick if you've got three really good candidates it can help you choose the one the one yeah that, that makes sense are, that, are there any questions or maybe one or two questions that you should not ask candidates in interviews 
Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> there are a lot. <laughs> Give me your top three. <laughs> I mean, the ob- the obvious ones are around uh, discrimination. So yeah, yeah. You know, right. it, it's not cool to ask. Um, you know, are you married? Are you a, planning a, to have children? Woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a, a woman. Are you married? Yeah. Who? Yeah. Who? Who? Look, who? Who pays the bills at home? You know. Yeah. On the, yeah. Um, what does your husband think about you coming um, for this role (laughs) no I'm kidding honestly it happens it's a joke um uh yeah it's so nothing around someone I mean obviously you can ask around their personal life but you but do it in a way which um is is genuine so you know what do you like to do in your free time that's fine um but yeah so but let me ask you, you this: Have a family? It's not. Yeah, but let me ask you this though, Emma. If they come to work for, say, a vegan or a plant-based company, and okay, they might not necessarily have to be vegan. But what if you ask them, "Well, what do you do in your free time?" And you find out they do trophy hunting. Like, yeah, yeah how does that? Does is you want to know that? Don't and if you? so, if they, so, you then wouldn't yeah. give them the job. But would they then be able to say, "Oh, I was discriminated against because of my hobby"? Well, uh, <laughs> so this is an area where there isn't any legislation oh okay right right um but what there is is um there's been a law a lawsuit recently where yes yeah uh an ethical vegan um has sued his previous employer for unfair dismissal um as a result of him blowing the whistle on their pension their, their company pension contributions going to companies that weren't vegan yeah even though the uh, organisation he was working for was an animal rights charity, so um, that has meant that recognised that that he was recognised as an ethical vegan who had rights that needed to be protected um, is really going to open up, um, I think, a, a, in a fantastic way yeah. for companies to really ne- need to acknowledge the rights of ethical vegans. That's right. What the flip side of that is, nobody yet knows. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's true. We'll have to wait and see, but very I would be nice. very surprised if <laughs> yes. a trophy hunting candidate would want to work for a vegan business anyway. True. Yeah, um, but who knows? I yeah, mean, yeah, they might just not make the connection, particularly if it's pitched as plant based or a food product. Do you know what I mean? It might not. What you never exactly. know. It's an interesting yeah. time, isn't it? We'd never be having this conversation previously. Um, so, what about interview tips? Let's flip to the other side. What about for candidates who are, are going for interviews and they've been shortlisted? So, any tips for them on how? Well, they... I think actually what we were just talking about is is, is important. So, being honest actually is really important so if you are a trophy hunter you know (laughs) it's important to talk about who you are and what you believe and what you think you know what you do and because it's someone in in, who felt like that is probably not going to get on too well in an organization full of people who really value animal rights so it 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 is really important even though it feels like maybe it's the wrong thing then maybe the job's the wrong thing so that's why honesty is crucial because both parties have to be who they really are uh, for it to yeah. work out. And yeah. um, and you know you'll, you'll lead yourself astray on this. <laughs> by, yeah, by not for sure. Ready. Yeah. Any other um, tips for candidates? Just kind of general interview. Yeah, tips? definitely. Um, so one thing I think um, is uh, something that people don't don't do a lot of is um asking questions in the interview so you know normally a, a, an interview will start with questions from the clients and then um but towards the end they'll ask the candidate so you know do you have any questions for me having some pre-prepared questions is really helpful i mean they'll probably have answered quite a lot of them over the yeah. course of the interview but um there will be some that they won't and it's things like you know, feel free to ask about the other team members, what their backgrounds are, um, how do they work together, how do they celebrate success as an organization, mm. how do they um, reward success in their organization, what trait, you know, because you're, you know, that, they're all positive questions. Um, ask about training, career progression, mm. all that sort of thing, because they're not things that people necessarily 
will have even thought about. So um, that there are some, you know, there are things that you ought to be finding out before you join an organisation anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So um, if they haven't thought about those things, then they probably should. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully by this time, if you know, if you get a second interview, they'll have some answers for you. Uh, if they don't know the answers there and then, so yeah. I, I think definitely getting more info and showing that you're keen by asking those questions as well like uh you know oh no no you know I don't have any questions that's actually not not very helpful right got it got it and what about when they're leaving the interview is there anything that you know is kind of some do's and don'ts um like as I've heard like for example some people say you know it's really good to say oh I really am keen to have this job blah 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 or is that just kind of brown nosing and seen as a bit desperate quite go that far but I think I think <laughs> I think um if it, it can it can be seen as a bit desperate so if you are really interested in the job tell them why so say you know I'm uh, thank you so much for your time um I've really enjoyed our meeting I'm particularly interested in this because it, it really speaks to me um and I know that I could do a fantastic job with X, Y, and Z. Right, um, got it. So make okay. it specific to something that you've talked about. Yeah. But actually, um, the thing that I think um, will mean that you can leave the interview feeling like you've had the best interview you possibly could is to actually ask for some feedback at the end. So oh. what concerns would you have about me doing this job um, is a really great way to, to give the the interviewer the opportunity to give you that feedback directly um so you can then if they've got something wrong so maybe they say actually we think you're great but we're not sure about you because you know you're not sure you could do this well maybe maybe that's oh, something that you could do that's a really good so, question wow um yeah. yeah get asking for the feedback at the end in an open way yes so asking what so what are your concerns rather than do you have any do you have yes. any too easy? They can just yes. go, oh, yeah, no, it's all right. We'll get in touch. Yeah, yeah. But what are your concerns about me? Not That's a good question. But... <laughs> I like that. That's, uh, great. It worked really well. Um, so just as we start to wrap up, a couple more quick questions. How relevant are CVs or resumes nowadays? And is, or is having a LinkedIn profile, for example, enough? Um, I think they're really important because it shows just a very base level of what you can do from a presentation perspective so um if you know you need to be able to organize your career in a particular format that's easy for the reader to understand and, and spelling and punctuation and grammar and all of those things are obviously important um i think the other thing is cds should should include details of your achievements that perhaps you wouldn't want to put on your LinkedIn profile. So they should shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be your LinkedIn profile. It should be that but with highlights of your achievements and um and where you've where you've hit or exceeded uh targets or expectations in your roles. Right. So and how many pages because this is one of the questions that comes up, how long should the C B be? How many pages? Uh, should it have a person's Depends age or photo? Right. Okay. If you're in the US um, it's the the standard is one page um, and with a photo. Oh. I personally, it, I I'm not pro photo <laughs> on a CV. I don't I don't see that's relevant. I think a CV should be limited to your skills and competencies. So oh, okay. for discrimination purposes, I think right. no photo. But you do you. Um, <laughs> and then the rest of the world, um, I would say most. Um, most CVs need to be less than three pages. The ideal, I would say, is two. Um, and uh, uh, yes, and no photo. Um, I actually have a template on my LinkedIn profile if anybody's listening. Oh, I was going to ask you whether you help people. <laughs> so they don't need to come to you as a recruiter no. with a perfect CV. No. Like that, what, what, that won't put them up. Like, because if you're looking for someone, if they send you a rubbish CV, like, does yeah. that immediately disqualify them, or would you kind of go, yeah. oh, no, no, it's good for the job, but oh, you need we need to fix your CV. Okay, good, that's good to know. All right, cool. Um, so finally, then um, you we talked about you've launched your business um, a year ago. So just tell us anything you want to tell us. So what's next for you and your brand? I know you mentioned that you're about to hire someone, which is excited. So just anything that you'd like to share that we haven't discussed already. 
Yes, well, actually, the Citizen Kind podcast is going to be launching in the next month or so, which is very exciting. So um, I'm launching that uh, really to highlight um, powerful people with purpose um, to show that if you want to have a career which is more meaningful, you don't need to go and work for a charity necessarily. You can continue to be successful in your current career, um, but just by switching your um, your focus to more meaningful work. So I'm mm, talking to business nice. owners and I'm talking to uh, generally people, who, you know, everyday people really who are um, doing all sorts of fantastic things to help further the vegan and plant-based movement and sustainability agenda. So oh, wonderful. And when is that um, launching? Uh, it's, well, hoping to launch uh, end of Feb uh, 2020. End so. of 2020. Okay, so depending on when this yeah. goes out, it might have launched or... Um, yeah, oh, wonderful. Well, if it's uh, if it has, we'll put a link to it, but we'll, we'll certainly uh, mention that it's coming up, which yeah. is fantastic. That's and great. There's, huh. there's a few other bits that I'm involved in as well. So I've got... Um, I'm working with the Plant-Based World Expo, which is going to be in October 2020. Mm-hmm. Which is going to be European one. Yeah. European event. Uh, the sister event to the New York one so working with them to help make their conference program um, really really fantastic and full of interesting speakers Uh, I'm also working with a group who are called um, DLCM vegan leaders in corporate I know about them I wrote about them for Forbes yeah 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 yes so I'm on the board with them so I'm helping them um get as many initiatives going over across the world as possible and what we're doing there is helping uh, individuals who are vegans in uh, in the corporate world uh, create initiatives within their companies to make their work environment more vegan friendly wonderful um, so um, the, the ones i've worked with most recently are suffolk county council they created a vegan staff network uh, which was fantastic and a vegan so they, oh health uh, network did you say and, uh, no, the a uh, vegan network for the staff. Of the oh, a staff council. network. Sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. So it's um, so far it's limited to Suffolk, um, but they're actually looking at seeing whether or not they can roll that model out across all the different county councils in the UK. Mm. So it just goes to show that from tiny acorns. Oh, uh, absolutely. Wonderful. Um, that's really great. Oh, that's fantastic. How exciting. Oh, this, this is wonderful. Yeah. Well, you shared some amazing tips, really helpful, um, I think, for both candidates and also for the, the business own, the businesses that are, are recruiting. Um, so thank you so much for coming, being on the show, Emma. I'm really excited to see, um, yeah, how you continue to grow. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Katrina. Thank you so much for all that you've done so far and all that you continue to do for the vegan movement. It's truly inspiring. So that was Emma Osborne from Citizen Kind. You can find out more at citizenkind.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 136. Now for some vegan business news highlights. The Vegan Kind, a UK-based online vegan supermarket and subscription box service provider, has reached its target of £300,000 in its equity crowdfunding campaign after just two days. The Scottish company has generated more than £5.6 million in revenue since its inception in 2013 and stocks more than 4,500 different vegan and plant-based products. In 2019 alone, it shipped over 130,000 orders and has a social media following of half a million. A rewards-based crowdfunding campaign in 2018 raised £65,000, enabling the company to move into a warehouse four times bigger than its existing one. Now, founders Scott and Karis McCulloch want to scale up even more. Having quickly reached their initial target of £300,000 on the Cedars equity crowdfunding platform from more than 1,000 investors, they're now aiming for a stretch goal of £600,000. 
Now, with retail in general taking a bit of a hit, it's fantastic to see a fully vegan retailer getting the support it needs to help even more people choose vegan products. Fantastic. More than 400,000 people signed up for Veganuary this year. That's 2020 if you're listening in the future. A 60% increase on 2019. Notable figures who took part in the initiative to commit to eating only vegan food during the month of January included rock legend Brian May, the lead guitarist in Queen, and investor Deborah Meaden, star of Dragon's Den, the UK's equivalent of Shark Tank. May loved it so much that he plans to stick with plant-based eating, while Meaden says she'll continue to eat mostly plant-based but will include honey and eggs from her own chickens. The UK-based initiative drew support from multinational corporations, including KFC, which sold 1 million vegan burgers since their launch on the 2nd of January. And Deliveroo saw its highest ever demand for vegan and plant-based food during January. Veganuary Soft launched in Germany and the US this year and aims to expand globally on an even bigger scale in coming years if they can get the funding. I love seeing Veganuary grow as it gives people a chance to try out eating vegan while getting support and being part of a community of others who are doing the same. And of course many people continue to stick with it after the initial month when they realise how easy and how brilliant it is. And of course, it's a great opportunity for vegan business owners to get more customers. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 